Welcome to Specs Speak Science, the scientific podcast hosted by a rotating cast of chemists and industry experts. From highlighting the hidden chemistry in our everyday lives to discussing relevant industry topics, Specs Speak Science looks to deliver informative content to the scientific community. With that, please enjoy this installment of Specs Speak Science. Hi, my name is Patricia Atkins. I'm the Senior Application Scientist for SPEC CERTIPREP, and today we're going to talk about the chemistry of soil and gardening in our podcast. Let's take a minute and talk about soil. So what's soil? What's dirt? You know, are they different? Does it matter? Well, soil is a very complex mixture of a lot of different materials. It's organic matter, like our broken down plants and our roots and things like that. It's rocks particulate matter like sand, it's clay, different minerals. So it's a real big mix of all these different materials. So why does it make it different from dirt? Well, dirt is actually disturbed soil. Soil has different layers to it and depending on where you live in the country or in the world, those layers can be vastly different. You have the very topmost layer, that's your growing layer, that's your organic layer. This is where you find all the plants and the trees and and the bugs and everything else. Then you have the surface layer. This is where you actually find the most densely packed organic matter. This is the breakdown from the plants. This is the roots and all those other materials. Then you have your subsoil, which does have some organic matter in it, but less. So this is where some of the deeper roots and where the deeper penetration of some organic matter comes. Then you have a substratum, that's your unweathered rock. And finally, last but not least, is your bedrock base. So what are the different meanings for the different layers of soil? Well, as we said, soil is organic and inorganic matter, and it changes vastly depending on where in the world or the country you are. So the soil from the coast of New Jersey, where we are, is vastly different from the soils of, let's say, the Midwest or Arizona or someplace like that. Dirt, as we said, is disturbed soil. It's uh, soil that's not in its desired location. So it's kind of like when we say a weed is a plant. You know, it could be a rose, but if it's not in the location you want it to be, then it's considered a weed. So dirt is soil that is not in the desired location. Topsoil, we always hear about, oh, topsoil wanted or topsoil for sale. Those are the uppermost layers of the ground soil, and they contain lots of organic matter. And then subsoil is the layers under that topsoil, and they will contain more things like sand. Now, if you go to your garden center, you're going to see a lot of different choices. You're going to see something called garden soil. This is usually a blend of topsoil or sand with some sort of organic matter. It's meant to be blended into your soil or into your garden. That's why it's called garden soil. It's not meant to stand alone. You're meant to mix it into the soil that you have as an enrichment. Then you have potting soil. This is some sort of growing medium and a soil mix, and it has much smaller particles, and it's meant to be used by itself. So you can plant plants in potting soil. You can put them in a pot, or you can put them outdoors. So potting soil can be used indoors or out and on its own. Now, potting mix tends to be a soilless mix of growing medium. Um, Sometimes it'll have a little bit of soil in it. These are large, fluffy particles. Uh, Things like vermiculite are included in it, and you can use this indoor or out. Sometimes you'll mix that with potting soil or garden soil. 
and then compost. This is a soil additive and it's the breakdown of organic matter and it will improve nutrients, aeration, and drainage of your soil. There are four primary types of soil, the largest being sand, and these are very large particulates of rock or hard minerals. And each particle you can see with your naked eye, so anywhere up to like five millimeters. So this is called sand. And we can, you go to the beach, you know that there's all different types of sand. There's fine sand, there's chunky sand. You go to a beach up in Maine, you'll see it, the sand there is actually uh, fairly large rock-like pieces. Uh, then you have silt. This is an intermediate size, about 0 0.002 to 0 0.06 millimeters. And when this becomes wet, it becomes smooth. And it becomes a smooth mud that can be shaped into balls. So uh, think about that kind of um, the kind of mud that has a little bit of structure to it. And when you pick it up, you can kind of make a mud ball into it. That that is silt. Then you have clay. Those are some of your finest particles, and they're under 0 0.002 millimeters. They're kind of microscopic and submicroscopic particles. And when you get clay wet, it makes kind of a gluey material. So think about if you've ever taken an art class or you've ever done pottery, that clay, it kind of sticks everywhere. It's, it tends to be very fine. It gets all over everywhere. It's kind of gluey. That's what, what clay is. And then you have loam, which is a mixture of clay, sand, and silt. So it's a little composite of everything. There are uh, 12 classifications for types of soil. In, in some areas, there are more classifications. In some areas, there are less. But there are 12 basic classifications. And they range from some of the largest classifications, which are sand, loamy sand, through silt. So it's a mixture of all the different uh, types of the four basic types. Um, and ending with the, the finest, which is kind of a silty clay. So what makes up soil? What's its composition? Well, it's about 5% organic matter, 45% minerals, 25% air, and 25% water. So that organic matter makes up a small amount, but it's a very important component. The, the majority are things like water, air, and the minerals. And most of those minerals are oxides. One of the largest components are silicon dioxide, which is between 20 and 40% of the elements in soil. There's also a lot of aluminum. So there's between 5 and 20% aluminum in soil, followed by iron, calcium, potassium, titanium, and then small amounts, about less than 1% each of things like magnesium, copper, zinc, nitrogen. Now, these are all positively charged elements, silicon, aluminum iron, calcium, all positively charged. Now, if you do any gardening, you know that sometimes you want to add some different elements to your plants because there are nutritional requirements for plants. So the basic nutrients for plants are things like carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. Those are necessary. Then there are some primary nutri nutrients. Nitrogen. We've always heard about nitrogen-fixing bacteria, nitrogen needs for plants, phosphorus, potassium. These are primary macronutrients for plants, and they're needed to continue for life. Then you have some micronutrients, things like iron, zinc, copper, boron. These are needed in smaller amounts for plant health. There are eight very important elements for plants and plant growth. Potassium, it's a macronutrient, it's needed for growth and reproduction, and it's about 1-2% to of what's needed in a plant. And if you have a lack of it, you're going to have low growth, poor crops, weak roots. And in order to boost your potassium level, you can add things like wood ash or kelp. 
Then you have calcium. This will support the structure of the plant, just it does, like it does in, in human beings and animals. Calcium supports the structure. And it's about 1% to 2% needed in the plant. And you will see uh, fruit damage or curled shoots or scorched uh, leaves. And this is uh, a lack of calcium. So in order to add calcium, you could add bone meal to your plants. Iron, primarily uh, from rocks. And you'll see that there's a lack of it in some alkaline or basic soils. And you could add some manure to get that level up to between 2 and 5%. Then there are five important trace elements. Magnesium, you need about 5 to 50 parts per million of magnesium. This is needed for chlorophyll to function. And if you don't have enough magnesium for your plants, you're going to see pale leaves, you're going to see spots. Sometimes if you have very dry soil, then you're going to have a lack of magnesium and you're going to need to add some um, organic matter, some, some sort of uh, a leaf litter or compost or something like that. Then you have copper, between 2 and 100 parts per million. This will aid in the enzyme activity plants. Copper is needed for enzyme activity. And if you see that your leaves are starting to twist or die back, that could be a lack of copper. And sometimes you'll find copper lacking in acidic soils or very fine soils. And again, you can add some compost to the mix in order to increase your copper levels. Then you have phosphorus. Phosphorus drives all metabolic activity. Think DNA, phosphorus, ADP. You need that phosphorus. And if you have leaves that are starting to purple or look a little red, you can add some bone meal and this will increase the phosphorus levels. Zinc is important for the growth of plants. And if you have low zinc levels, you're going to have some very small fruits. You're going to have poor ripening. And again, by adding some uh, organic matter or some compost to it, you can increase your zinc. Now, nitrogen, very, very important. One of the most important trace elements. You need between 225 and 250 parts per million for your plants. And if you do not have your nitrogen, you do not have the functioning of proteins. You do not have the functioning of chlorophyll. And you often need some sort of bacteria to interact with the plants. That's why you hear about those nitrogen-fixing bacteria in the roots of plants. It needs that nitrogen in order to function, in order for the, the different biological processes to function. And if you don't have that nitrogen, you have very poor yields, poor growth. Again, a way to fix this is by adding organic matter such as compost or bone meal or something like that. So we've talked a little bit about some of the common signs. So if you have uh, stunted or misshapen leaves, you might be looking at a calcium deficiency. If you have yellow spots or holes in between the veins of a plant, it might be manganese deficiency. Are your plants getting yellow edges and tips? It, it could be a, a potassium deficiency. So depending on what your leaves look like, there might be a deficiency of a particular plant nutrient. So how do we fix it? Of course, we've talked about some of the additives. You can use additives like lime. Now lime will raise the pH, it reduces acidity. So if your soils are too acidic, you could add a little bit of lime and that will lower the acidity. You can add sulfur. This again lowers pH and increases acidity. So it does the, the opposite of the lime. It will actually make your soils more acidic. Gypsum, this will uh, aerate your soil. It gives a, a kind of a space in between the particles of the soil. It will help with drainage. And another uh, material that will, you can use for that would be perlite or vermiculite. This also improves with aeration or drainage. Compost will add nitrogen, add air, and it also adds all of those different uh, components we were talking about before. It can add potassium and, and all sorts of other nutrients to the soil. 
and then you have potash which would, could increase your potassium levels in soil. Here are some natural additives that you can, can use. Uh, we've all heard about things like, well, you can add coffee grounds. Well, you can. Coffee grounds will add calcium, potassium, nitrogen, phosphorus, but it will also increase the acidity of your soil. Now, you've also probably heard about eggshells. Well, yes, eggshells can add calcium to your soils. Some interesting ones, you can add bananas that will add potassium and phosphorus. Wood ash will increase increase uh, pH. Now, if you're going to use wood ash, um, be very careful what type of wood ash you use. If you have a fireplace, you just don't want to go willy-nilly adding your ashes into your uh, garden because uh, not all wood is the same and not all wood ash is the same and there might be different chemicals. You, it might have different treatments. You don't want to use ashes from like a prefab log because those binders and chemicals end up in the wood ash. So you want to be careful with what kind of wood ash you use. If you have an aquarium and you are changing the water for your fish, you can use that water because it's full of nitrogen for your ornamental plants, but it's not suggested for plants that you're going to be consuming. And then you can also have old tea. You have old tea bags, old coffee grounds, things like that. They essentially add some of the similar properties, calcium, potassium, nitrogen. So you can add those also to your soil. These are all homemade additives that you can use uh, from your own you know, your own house, your own kitchen, your own refrigerator. Now, one of the important concepts for soil is pH. So you uh, can easily measure the pH of the soil. There's a lot of different ways. You can go and get a test at your garden store. You can use a pH meter. Now, pH soil range is usually between three and nine. So from about the acidity of orange juice to the, the alkalinity of baking soda. And plants kind of like a neutral range, usually in that six to seven range. If the soil is too acidic, if it's well under seven, it will hinder some of the absorption of the, of the elements like calcium, magnesium, and, and phosphorus. But on the other hand, if it's too alkaline, you're going to hinder some of the other uh, element absorptions like copper, zinc. So you really want to get kind of close to that ideal neutral pH of seven because the pH changes will affect growth, nutrient absorption, and sometimes pesticide effectiveness if you're using pesticides. Some plants, though, prefer acidic soil or basic soil. So if you have blueberries and azaleas, they really like acidic soil. So they want it a little bit more on the acidic side. So you'll be using additives to make your soil slightly more acidic. If you have ferns or asparagus, then those are more neutral alkaline pH plants. They want it to be a little bit closer to seven or over seven. And then some plants will actually change with different pH. One of the most famous examples are hydrangeas. If you have acidic soil, your hydrangeas will be blue. And if you have alkaline soil, your hydrangeas will be pink. So then you also have to worry about soil contamination. Uh, most of us don't think about, well, oh, you know, there's acid contamination, but there's agricultural runoff. There's acid rain. Do you have acid rain in your area? Do you have a big farm near you that you're going to get pesticides or you're going to get maybe manure runoff or something like that? Was the area you live in a old apple orchard? Is it possible that you're going to get some heavy metals or road wear? Do you live on a main road? If you live on a main road, then maybe you don't want to be putting your vegetable garden too close to that main road because you're going to get road dust, road wear. 
could you have air pollution contamination of your garden if you live in a industrial area maybe there's an industrial area near you or you live in an area where there are a lot of wood burning fireplaces or maybe they burn oil or coal then that air pollution can actually get into your plants do you live in a really old house? I live in a house that's a few hundred years old, and I'm sure during its lifetime it has been painted many, many times, and more than likely more than once with lead paint. So over the years, where did that lead paint leaching go to? It went into the soil, or it went into the surrounding plants. So you really want to think about all of these different types of soil contamination. Do you know the history of your of your land? Do you know what its land use was? Was it an agricultural area transitioned to housing? So was this an old farm and you know now the farm is defunct and some developers come in and now built a housing units on it? Is it a decommissioned industrial site? Was it a garbage dump at some point in time that has been now filled in and capped and now they have, have built houses on top of it? Were there buildings like we said with lead paint? As we said there are hundreds and hundreds of buildings around the world and especially in the US, in fact, probably more like millions of buildings that still contain lead paint. Are you downstream from an industrial or a waste site? Are you downstream from commercial agriculture? Are you downwind from commercial agriculture? Many times there are pesticide contamination from all of these different commercial agricultural ventures. There were arsenate pesticides in use for hundreds of years in orchards and different fruit farms. And if you live in an apple orchard or what used to be an apple orchard or some sort of historical agricultural area, you could be having this type of contamination in your food that you're growing in your little vegetable garden. Some other soil contaminants are things like mycotoxins. Viruses, bacteria, protozoas, fungal contaminants. So these are, are things that you can um, become contaminated with or your fruits, vegetables, if that's what you're growing for your own use, can become contaminated with. Now, it's important to know that you can become contaminated from just directly touching the soil. You, you don't wash your hands, you don't wash your produce, you can get things like pesticides or salmonella, that's soil to human contamination. Just think about it. I mean, you, all of that material that's in the soil directly transfers onto your hands or onto your plant. Then you have soil to plant to human. That's when you're growing something, maybe you're growing potatoes and you're in an area that has uh, heavy metal contamination, well then you have to worry about, well, am I going from the soil to my plant and then when I eat that potato or I touch that potato, then I'm getting human contamination. And we've done a lot of studies at Spec Prep involving the transfer of pesticides and heavy metals to other products, such as we did a, a arsenic and cider study, which was uh, apple ciders. We've done heavy metals and spices where it's gone from the soil to the plant and then it ultimately ends up in humans. So how do I know what the quality of my soil is? How do I know if it's contaminated with mycotoxins or pesticides? Well, a lot of tests you can go to your garden center. There are simple tests like pH, uh, nitrates, nitrogen. If you want a more extensive study, you can go to your state university or your cooperative education center and you can have your soil tested, you can have your water tested. And then you can also request specialized testing from testing centers, uh, like pay for use kind of testing centers. Things like macro elements, heavy elements, nitrogen, pesticides, and other contamination. So, 
if you send a sample to your um, cooperative or you send it to a testing laboratory, especially if you're going to send like a plant or soil, they're going to do some sort of sample preparation. They're going to homogenize your sample, digest it or extract it, and then they're going to test it for whatever targets, whether it be pesticides, metals, or diseases. They're going to follow some sort of method, whether it be an EPA method or an AOAC or an ASTM method for agriculture. And then they're going to give you some ideas on how you might be able to remediate your particular garden. And that might be as easy as some sort of crop rotation or some sort of rotation of the garden. It might be some sort of phytotechnology. Maybe there's going to be um, some new way to, to, to deal with a particular contaminant or particular issue, and, and they'll be able to give you some guidance about that. It might be a soil amendment. They might say, well, you have no calcium in your in your soil or it's too acidic and you're going to need to add this. Or they're not going to say, well, you know what? We really think that you need to remediate your soil and replace it, that it's contaminated. You're, you know, that house that's 200 years old that you bought, well, it's got lead in the soil and we really don't suggest that you grow any um, food plants in it. And if you do want to put a food garden in or a vegetable garden in, then we suggest you dig up you know, two feet of soil and replace it with soil that is uh, free from heavy metals. And again, you can go to agricultural labs, universities, you can go to laboratories that will test your soil and there are always pay for use laboratories. And you also want to consult things like the EPA Superfund site list. You want to know, do you have any Superfund sites around you? Do you have a contamination that's being cleaned up? Was your area uh, part of the Superfund site list? Overall, I hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, our soil chemistry podcast and webinar. Please visit us online or on our social media. Thanks again. Specs Speak Science is presented by Specs Companies. Specs CertiPrep and Specs Sample Prep provide scientists with certified reference materials and sample preparation equipment for a diverse range of analytical techniques. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast and subscribing for future installments. Similar content, such as application notes, research studies, webinars, and more can be found at both specscertiprep.com and specssampleprep.com. Thank you for listening to Specs Speaks Science, and we look forward to bringing you future episodes.